This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello there. Uh, this is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber. Uh, we have a wonderful episode for you today with Caitlin Bernstein. Uh, Caitlin's the shit. Uh, this is fresh off of her podium at Rooted Vermont, which is an excellent gravel event that takes place in Vermont. Uh, and we talk about everything from uh, skiing, ski racing. We talk about a little bit and then we kind of dive into her pro career, why she doesn't really feel like she's a legitimate pro, even though she has all the skills to be a legitimate pro, uh, her mountain biking background, how she got into it her progression as a bike rider and honestly a whole bunch of stuff. And we actually talk about something that's really important, at least to me. And it's the way that people get into the sport. It's the way that women specifically get into the sport, how they're treated when they walk into a bike shop, what that interaction's like and how relevant that first interaction in a bike shop is. Um, and then we kind of talk about why she hasn't pushed the envelope any further to like push her professional career that much further. It's like, it's actually a really interesting conversation, a really interesting way to look at it um so i'm uh i'm psyched to get this one out there because it's actually really cool uh for people that don't know caitlin is brooks curran brooks curran's sister <laughs> um older sister by five years um and it's actually really cool to see them both like thriving in the outdoor space right now um so shout out to both of them shout out to caitlin because this interview is uh is a ton of fun and i really enjoyed the conversation said every time but i really did um Caitlin's awesome before we get into the episode, a few things going on. Uh, we have new stickers on the website. Fuck off and ride your bike shit is online right now. Uh, go ahead and buy uh, some stickers if you want. Uh, support the collective, support the show. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, we have a gear guide dropping in the fall, which is going to be insane and so much different than everybody else's. It's going to be in print. It's going to have awesome artwork uh, from some of your favorite outdoor artists. It's going to have input from some of the best minds in skiing i mean it's it's gonna be really good i'm i'm so psyched for this to get out in the world for our first one to kind of be done and then to kind of grow from that one but like this one is gonna be special um because it's number one so we'll see how that goes uh i'm psyched keep up to date with all that stuff uh, you can sign up for the mailing list on the website if you're interested in getting more updates on that kind of thing and new merch drops and whatever else we have going on also subscribe to the youtube uh we're a couple weeks off from doing youtube interviews but uh, there's some really good ones up there from the past. The more important thing on the YouTube channel is the reviews. If you're looking at new gear, uh, we have multiple times a week new gear reviews that are super, super well produced. Shout out to our boy Matt uh, and obviously Ethan uh, for making those happen. Uh, so if you want to see me talk on screen uh, about probably the thing I know the most about, which is talking about gear, uh, do that. That's where you go. Our YouTube channel, just out of collective, and uh, you can find all the best stuff right there. Uh, before we jump into the episode, obviously we have sponsors because motherfuckers got to eat. Okay. Um, first of all, we have drink simple brand new sponsor for us. Uh, they make this amazing maple water, which I'm holding in my hand right now. Uh, you can buy it at whole foods. You can buy it on the internet, on their website at drinksimple.com. Um, what it is, is literally maple water, no added sugar, no added sweeteners, plant-powered nutrients and it is very much a recovery drink it has all the stuff all the benefits of cocoa coconut water just less sugar um it's only 45 45 calories uh it's it's got all the good shit in it i mean it's uh 
it's legit and it tastes good. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? It's organic. Um, these people are rad. Kate and Jeff are super nice people and I'm psyched to be working with them. So uh, go to Drink Simple, buy some of their product, use promo code out of bounds on their website. Uh, and if you buy any stickers from us in the next couple months, we will get you some limited edition tree hugger stickers included in your purchase. Go out there, buy some Drink Simple. So that's that. Next, we have <laughs> wrong button. That's the right button. Mammut. Uh, Mammut's been a sponsor of the show for a little over a year now. They're wonderful partners of ours. And obviously, in the wake of uh, all of this beacon nonsense that's going on in the world, Mammut makes the best beacon, point blank, period, end of sentence, no more talking necessary, and uh, in the berry box. And you can get 25% off, 25% off using promo code out of bounds 25 capital o capital o capital b 25 on memu.com go do that like why would you not do that if you're prepping for the season go use that code 25 percent off is ridiculous on these things um so do that before it's too late this code is only active for a little while that's our plug that's it go buy a beacon go buy a shovel go buy a kit go do whatever you got to do to get ready and use our code out of bounds 25 for 25% off. Okay, cool. Um, and last one we have is Sierra Nevada. Um, Sierra Nevada is uh, obviously the maker of some of the best beer, but also some of the best non-alcoholic products that are available. I'm obviously a huge fan, um, especially of that new hop splash that they have. It is like, it's if you're a seltzer fan and you want that, like, I want to drink, but I don't want to drink type situation. It's fucking good. It doesn't sound like, okay, bear with me here. It might not sound like it's super appetizing to drink a seltzer, non-alcoholic seltzer situation that doesn't taste like, or that's flavored like beer, but it's fucking good and it's refreshing and Adam X is addicted to it. I have been slugging these things on every show uh, and our fridge is full of them. So, I mean, what else can we say? It's, it's legitimately good. Go get some of that stuff. Obviously, they have so many other products you can get as well. Um, there's new merch on the site too. Um, if you need a code for some new merch, just hit us up. Shoot me a message on the uh, on the Instagrams, on the Twitter, whatever. We get you a big discount on Sierra Nevada merch, uh, and that's uh, that's that. And also, they have a bunch of concerts going on in Portland um, that they promote and they host. So if you're at one of those, hit me up. Let's hang out because I'm going to go to a bunch. So uh, we'll see you there. No more ads. Leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. That's a big thing. Please leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. Even if you just tell me that I'm an idiot, do it. I appreciate you very much. Here's our episode with Caitlin Bernstein. Enjoy. Caitlin, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of go from there. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Caitlin Bernstein, and I... Um, I'm first, I guess, a human and a person. I don't <laughs> love to um, to lead by saying I'm a cyclist, so it becomes kind of my whole identity. But riding bikes is kind of primarily what I love to do in all my free time these days. Um, but I'm also a lifetime skier and a Vermonter. And yeah, excited to be here and chat with you today sick um we'll talk about rooted um because that was this past weekend and you podiumed there 
Um, but first, I want to ask about the bi-coastal situation because you and Brooks both do the same thing. And I think that's very interesting that you guys are and you both call yourself Vermonters, um, which you are. But it's it's funny that that's the more relatable of the two. Yeah, yeah. Vermont has always and I think will always feel like home to me. Um I grew up in Waitsfield. I'm staying here at the house I grew up in now. Um, but I have an interesting arrangement going where um, I've been splitting my time. This will be the third year, um, splitting my time between Vermont and Reno, Nevada. Um, okay. So really just trying to get the best out of both worlds. <laughs> um, it started in 2020 when everything went remote and I could take my job wherever I wanted. And I wanted to go to Vermont for the summer. Um, and it was awesome. It's amazing this time of year. I love it so much here. Um, and then I wanted to leave when the weather got shitty. (laughs) Um, so for me, like, being kind of primarily focused on cycling these days. I still I still do quite a bit of skiing in the winter, but um, with the primary focus on cycling, it's really cool to be out in Reno and in the Tahoe area where I can drive 45 minutes to ski, um, but also like mountain bike, um, ride trails right on the road from my door um, pretty much all winter, um, not too much snow in, in Reno these days. So yeah, this will be the third year. Um, but things are shifting back to Vermont becoming the more primary, uh, location than Nevada. So definitely the past year we ended up spending more time in, in Vermont and then going back and, when we're when we're in Vermont, we're always like, oh, we really want to stay here. Like, I just have a lot more connections and community here. Um, right. and I always feel that when I come back, and I love that. Um, but then <laughs> when when I get back to Reno in February and it's still sunny and I can go skiing, I can ride my bike and kind of do it all um, really easily that is also really nice to go back to. So I do plan on going back there, but I think ultimately like there's just a huge draw um, to Vermont. And I think ultimately we'll end up spending more time here. Yeah. It's So what's your full-time job? Like what's the actual, like what pays the bills on a regular basis? Yeah. Yeah. So I work as a recruiter um, for a startup company. So I started doing that about six years ago now. Um, and the first company I did it for was Strava, actually. So I kind of, oh, shit. yeah, I got in at Strava. Um, I was like the first um, front desk person they ever hired there. Um, and I had some friends working there and I just was at a point where I was like kind of getting my first real job after coaching skiing for a few years out of college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and, and was in the Bay area. So, um, just went for companies I was interested in and, um, and got in there and then kind of learned recruiting, um, on the job and have been doing it since. And, um, now I'm lucky to, to be fully remote, um, and have a lot more flexibility these days. Sick. What, how do you balance your, it's like, it's funny, like 
I'm almost asking verbatim the questions that you sent me over ahead of time, but I actually really want to know how you balance the training aspect of it with having a real job, because I think that's something so many aspiring athletes relate to is trying to figure out a way to get the most out of their day training wise, while also doing the job that's important to them to pay their bills. And also like finding the motivation to do both things, I think is extremely hard. Like I, I'm in a situation where I I work a lot of hours in a different job and I work a lot of hours doing this. And I find that it's extremely draining to do both things to like the maximum ability, especially when you like give sponsor commitments and you have like athlete commitments and then obviously have training goals and performance goals. And then you have stuff you actually have to do for a full-time job. So how, how do you figure all that out? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, sometimes it feels like a disaster. Um, <laughs> honestly, like I think it's important for people to hear that because um, I definitely like I have a lot on my plate. It's kind of in my nature to take on more and more and see how much I can do um, for better, or for worse. And um, some days it's like, oh, wow, I definitely did too much and I'm paying for it here and there. Um, mm. So doesn't always go smoothly, but that's part of the process. And I've definitely learned a lot over the years about um, how to say no and when to say no um, and how to start taking on things that are, you know, serving me in some way or serving my sponsors and making sure I'm being more intentional about that. But mm-hmm. just as far as the day-to-day like balance aspect of it goes, um, I yeah, I like today's a good example. I got up pretty early, um, hung out with the dog a little, had some breakfast and then um, got on the bike to do intervals. Um, And then kind of as soon as I came back, I was like making a recovery drink and like on a meeting, like immediately. Um, So there's definitely a lot of that, like quick transition stuff. Um, It helps these days to be able to like, you know, Um, hop on a meeting when you're sweaty and gross and nobody can smell you on zoom. (laughs) Um, I definitely am like, yeah, I don't know how I ever did this when I was working in an office nine to five, like meeting like that. I think back to that. I'm like, yeah, that, that I probably would have burnt out on that. Um, So definitely the work from home thing helps a ton, but yeah. So in meetings just on the computer and then like, um, you know, doing my recovery stuff like while I'm working got the squeezy legs going while I'm on my laptop and um, those work I like them I it's one of the <laughs> like I don't know if it actually works but it can't hurt you know <laughs> yeah I guess not they look cool and I want some but I yeah. I don't know if they actually work there's a lot of this stuff now that I don't know if it's just a gimmick or if it just like mentally makes you feel better because you're just sitting and relaxing. And I, I don't know. And even like the ice bath thing, it's like, I've been posting a lot about these fucking like thousand dollar, $1,500, $3,000 ice buckets bit like that you just fill up all the time and that say temperature controlled. And like, it just seems like overkill. And I wonder how much of it is actually beneficial and how much of it is like salesy stuff. Yeah. I mean, it feels good and it's (laughs) So yeah, I'm, I'm into the legs for sure. Um, and yeah, just, um, getting some work done and then, um, like I've got a running workout this afternoon, um, and then, um, dinner with friends. So it's, it's definitely like, 
it's a lot, but I guess I also just like, um, I really enjoy, like, it makes me appreciate the time I get to be outside and like do what I love on the bike. And, um, I know like, you know, not everyone's fortunate to be able to be in that situation. So I'm, I'm, I just try to take it all in and enjoy it and do as much as I can getting, getting sleep helps too. That's like, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good night's sleep. So (laughs) that's a good thing. I think people that take on like so much work and constantly are pushing for more and more and trying to see how much they can handle tend to not sleep that much, I feel like. And that ends up being what burns them out. So I guess that's a good thing that sleep is something that you're actually into. Sleep. Yeah. I'm also into coffee though. Um, I won't lie. That's, that's an important part of the routine. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Same. Um, can I ask you what, as far as training goes, what do you find is the most beneficial for the time? Like, is it interval training? Is it distance riding? Like for what you do as an athlete, what, what do you find the most benefit for in terms of like bang for the buck, I guess, and when you go and you train? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, and definitely relates to that, like balancing work and training, because I think this, um, applies to a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to, how to fit it in. And it's definitely like, I look at, um, quality over quantity. Um, so I try not to think about how much more some of the women that I'm racing against are training. (laughs) Um, there are some who spend like a lot of hours on the bike a week. And the reality is for me, like, it's just not going to happen. So I, I do focus on quality. A lot of my rides are an hour and a half to two hours, um, during the week and longer on the weekends when I have more time, I guess Mm -hmm. like backing up too, I should share a little bit more about like the events that I'm kind of training for and, and focusing on like, um, in the summer, I do a good amount of mountain biking, mostly local mountain bike races um, for fun because I love them. And then gravel stuff. Um, and I am also training for cycle cross in the fall, which is um, like my favorite uh, discipline and kind of the the racing that I do the most of and at the highest level. So like trying to get ready for world cups in October and, um, and, and all of that. So kind of the summer, um, while I'm going to these gravel races, um, I'm definitely, I'm not, not training for them, but they're a little bit like as part of the bigger picture, um, in terms of getting ready for the cycle cross in the fall. So, um, like going into rooted, you know, I hadn't been doing like a ton of volume to get ready for the race where if I had like winning rooted as my number one goal for the year, like I would have done more volume training. But (laughs) um, I think like with goals around cyclocross coming up in September, October, like I have to be doing a lot more like shorter speed work now. Um, So this morning was like, doing sets of repeats where it's like 10 seconds on 20 seconds off and then 40 seconds on 20 seconds off. And like all these, all these sets, um, with some longer interval stuff mixed in, but yeah, definitely like focusing on intervals. Um, and I like to do my training in a way that's fun too. Like yesterday I rode Mm -hmm. my bike for two hours and, um, like 
I will get burnt out if it's only like structure, 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 and mm. not getting out like on just a ride to enjoy my bike. So I think yeah. I, I like to include a lot of that too. Yeah. What, what is it about cross that makes it your favorite? And I mean, I imagine the, I don't know, like it, the spectator stuff in cross is the thing that like gets me the most excited to watch it. And like, especially in person, because it's all right in front of you, basically. Mm. So what is it? What is it for you? Why do you like it so much? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, like I, I've done a lot of mountain biking growing up. Um, and I, I've always loved to mountain bike. I still do. Um, but the racing format with cyclocross is super engaging um, because it's, 45 to 55 minutes for women. Um, and you know, you all start together and it's absolute chaos. Like you're all fighting for like one little line, like riding through mud or sand or ice or snow or literally whatever, um, it, you know, whatever is happening and in that place at the time. And, it's just really dynamic and you kind of never know what's going to happen. So it really keeps you on your toes and you have to be like good at handling your bike. You have to have power and, you know, um, like good short power, repeatable short power, um, which is a fun thing to work on for me. Um, but it's also just like, yeah, the fans, um, everybody's like heckling you and screaming at you. Um, and it's a really good atmosphere. And then you get to hang out with your friends after and like watch the next races. And, um, that's kind of what really drew me in. And I just met a lot of amazing people, um, through cyclocross and kind of just felt at home right away when I, when I tried it. Um, and before I tried it, I was like, as a mountain biker I was like why would anybody want to like <laughs> like have to carry their bike over something like yeah, right. Mountain right. Bike. that's so dumb <laughs> um I really didn't get it and then I don't know just, you just gotta try it or like show up and go to a race and enjoy the spectating aspect because it's it is special yeah and it's I think a lot of the stuff it's funny to think like that, like, oh, carrying your bike and like stairs and like all these like these short courses. But a lot of the so many of the skills that you have from mountain biking translate directly to being a better cross rider. Mm -hmm. And you see that like we have in my area, we have a ton of great like cross programs, a ton of great cyclocross racers like Jeremy Powers lives like a town over from me. And like it's it's sick. Yeah. But, it, all of these people ride mountain bikes and they ride them at a high level. And then the, like everything kind of translates over to the cross side of things really, really well. So it's like, it, I feel like you skip a few steps in that progression. If you're already a comfortable mountain biker. Totally. Yeah. And, and also like, there's a lot of ski racing crossover too. Like, I mean, it's the same with mountain biking, a lot of ski racers who mountain bike and, um, but that is a really good background for, for cycle cross and a lot of, a lot of crossover there too. Why ski racing and mountain biking? <laughs> I think like just knowing how, like the, knowing how to turn is so important in both. And like, mm. it's really yeah, like, yes, it's really different, but at the same time, like some of the feelings and like the principles around it are really similar. Um, mm. And like, like knowing how to look ahead and like 
knowing how to position your body, um, knowing how to carry speed. And like, I think those types of things like are, have a lot of direct carryover. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never made that connection, but it, it makes sense. And I don't think people realize how important the turning aspect is for, I think people realize it for skiing. Like it's a big thing, especially lately, but mountain biking, people don't realize it. Like when you watch someone ride, one of the first things you notice is the way that they turn is the way that they corner is the way that they roll in to certain things. And that's, it, it's a very technical skill that separates people like you guys, like people could do the same things and hit the same drops or, you know, climb the same level, but that there's something that separates ability levels at a very high level when it comes to actually doing that turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Knowing how to like, because it's efficiency, like when you can go right. into that turn and carry more speed out of it and you're doing that, you know, a hundred times on a course, like that eventually is going to, is going to add up and, and make a big difference. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things I, I was excited that you mentioned was that you don't consider yourself a true pro bike racer, even though you are a pro bike racer. So what, why, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I've thought about this a lot over the past few years because, you know, of course, I think like most people, I'll, you know, be asking myself, what am I doing out here? Like, <laughs> um, why am I doing all of this, all this training, all this racing? Where is it going? Um, I definitely had that kind of a, a big moment of reflection last year after um, kind of in, in 2020, there was no racing going on. Um, but I knew that in 2022 world championships were coming to the U S and, at the time I was like pretty far away from, you know, where I needed to be to earn a spot to compete at worlds. Um, the U S takes six people. Um, and you know, I was, I was pretty far away from that, but I kind of put my head down and decided that that was a big goal I wanted to chase. Um, cause it was a huge opportunity to race world championships in the U S like, you know, once in a lifetime kind huge. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um so that was a big thing that I I got to work on spent a lot of time in 2020 just like using that extra year when I wasn't racing to work on weaknesses and train and um I made a ton of improvements and in 2021 last year like I kind of got on track to that goal and had a had a really great season in cross and raced my first World Cups and um, was on UCI podiums and um, things were really solid. So I was able to to get that spot and race at World Champs, which was an amazing experience. Um, but kind of going through it all, I really had like after I really had this moment of like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I just spent like two years like doing this. Like, do I want to do this again? Like. Um, where am I going with it all? Um, and just did a lot of self-reflection on that. Um, and I think like, and I think where that comes from, like, um, me really like questioning it a lot about, a lot about that was coming from like the fact that I'm not trying to make this my job and I'm not trying to like spend the next 10 years training so I can win a world cup. Like, 
there's mm. a limit on like what I'm trying to do. Um, and so it's like, if there's that limit, like, why am I trying so hard? And ultimately it was like, you know, the conclusion is I love to ride my bike. Like I love the process of training. I love racing. Like I love it. And also like, I want to have a positive impact on people around me, um, made some goals and, and working on some goals of like connecting with younger riders and doing more mentorship and just like using my platform as a bike racer to have more of a positive impact in general, um, which has been exciting. But it's all to say like, I, well, I want to race at the highest level for now, I'll see how much longer. Um, <laughs> I am not out here like trying to make a job of it. Um, and I also, you know, share that to highlight like how hard it actually is, especially for women in the yeah. sport of cycling to make a living off of it. Like it is so hard. There are so few women in the U S um, especially, I think Europe's a little bit different, but um, there are so few women in the U S who have those opportunities. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm out here trying to, trying to race with them, um, trying to race at the highest level, but, um, I don't make money, you know, I'm lucky to have product sponsorships and, um, budgets. So like that cover my racing and I've, I'm mm. stoked that I've gotten to that point, but, um, you know, it's, you know, are you a pro if you're not making money doing it? Um, I don't know. There's always that, that question that, that I have in mind. The weird situation to be in where like you're racing at the pro level, but you're not getting paid. Like in that seems bizarre to me. And I, I don't know. I, I think that I like always push this envelope of like everybody should get paid. But if you don't want to like, you don't want to do this forever and you don't want to make a job of it, then how much does it matter? Like if you can, if you're getting your stuff paid for, you're getting gear, yep. you're getting what you need, then it's your choice, right? Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's true. And I've, um, I've thought about that a lot for sure. And I, and, you know, maybe, maybe it would be different if I, if I said I'm quitting my job and I went to my sponsors and I said like, you know, I, I want a bigger bigger budget like I want to get paid to do this and this is what I need um I haven't done that and and I don't plan on it so you know we'll never know but I think it's just to say like I, I also like to share that because I think I used to be self-conscious about like feeling like I don't belong with the pros or like feeling like mm. or feeling also on the other side of it like should I quit my job? Like, am I not trying hard enough? Um, yeah, right, right. That sort of thing that I like, I like to, to share that experience and like share with people that there's a place for everybody. Like you don't have to, you can be a pro and you can still work a job and like get, get something out of both things. Um, doesn't have to be, you know, one or the other. There's not only one path. There's many. Yeah. Yeah. Cycling and skiing are very similar in that regard where you can just and it's always a conversation and I think it happens more with skiing where like if you don't get paid you're not a pro right because skiing is skiing it's not all race-based it's all like it's it's very much it's more open I guess right versus mountain biking to an extent is very like racing is still very important and cycling in general racing is extremely important and that's where most of the money is probably um, with the exception of like 
I don't know, certain people, I guess, and the rampage people and like that, that kind of shit. I, it's just very different. And I, I actually, this is probably a good thing to talk about. What, what do you feel is the difference in terms of like gender pay, right? It's, you mentioned it's harder for a woman to get into cycling at this level. It's harder to kind of break down those barriers barriers so what do you mean by that what is what are some of the things that you've had to deal with where you're like okay this is this is fucking dumb this is annoying like this is something that i'd like to see change for the generation that follows yeah that's a great question um well a couple things like on both sides of it because i always like to have a positive (laughs) positive side no that's kind of a negative question but yeah anyway but yeah i mean i think just for me like i've definitely seen um like you know males who i'm getting better results than consistently um who i know are making more money like um you know i know are 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 making better have better sponsorships um i just think that there's still there's still more opportunities but there has been a big push i think more recently to get more women involved and to get equal pay and i think like the whole equal pay thing is super complicated because it's different in every discipline and um it's also like you know there's not a lot of information like available for this which I think is one of the the problems and um it's tough because people you know people have contracts they're you know legally bound not to share like their salaries or what they're making from brands um well I mean or is it just like taboo to like talk about it yeah I think it is taboo to talk about it but I think more women that I know are like wanting to talk about it because yeah they want to share with other women so that we can work together to increase our value, like collectively. Um, and it's like, no, like, this is what you're worth, like ask for it kind of thing. Um, so I think that's, that's been like, there's been some positive momentum in that direction. Um, but I mean, it's still a very male dominated sport and like industry in general, um, which, is, is never going to like, like it takes more work to, to overcome that. Um, but I would say like one positive thing from, from my point of view with cyclocross, um, I think 2021 was the first year, but, um, the UCI, um, had approved and like, we got paid equal prize money for, Mm. um, for world races. Yeah. And, and that's huge because it used to be like, like not that long ago, it was way, way lower prize money. Like, you know, you get 20th place and a guy gets 20th place and you get half the amount of money. So mm. it was cool for me to like be part of that racing my first World Cups. Um, you know, I was placing in the 30s and like 20s when I'm lucky um, kind of thing. And um, it was cool to show up and be like, oh, yeah, like that's a decent like paycheck for for this race like i'm stoked on that and i'm not stressed that the guy who got the same place is making twice as much money like that was that was cool to be a part of that so i think there's still some work to do with that in mountain biking um Mm. 
and definitely there's huge differences in road cycling i know yeah it's um, not yeah <laughs> so but it's cool also to see like some teams i know like trek segafredo was one where they stepped up and said like we'll pay the difference like our women right equal pay and we're going to cover that so it's really cool that they were able to do that and and that they put their money where their mouth was on that yeah yeah for sure um what yeah i think a lot of that starts in shops too right like i think it's like feeling valued when you walk into a bike shop or a ski shop i think it's really important because that's a lot of people's first experience with like cycling in general it's like okay Mm -hmm. they know somebody that does it they want to get into it and i think that first interaction for a lot of people is in real life in a bike shop in a ski shop and that very much shit like the way that they're treated there and the way that the way that everybody's treated but especially for women mm-hmm. matters right like that really shapes the way that your interaction goes with the sport and your connection goes with the sport and that's one of the things that as somebody who owns a bike shop I, I feel like that drives me the most nuts right mm-hmm. like that that other shops have that issue, like that old school mentality where it's like you ski short skis, like we only carry up to like a 156. Uh, we only yeah. carry like 23, 24, 25 boots. And like that kind of shit drives me nuts. Bikes are like all price point bikes, like low end. And they assume that everybody doesn't know what they're talking about, right? Like that kind of shit drives me crazy. And I think there's... and there's two sides of it, right? There's that side of it. And then there's the side where everything is so elitist that you're like not willing to give someone the time of day when they just want a $500 mountain bike to start it off because that's yeah. where most people start. It's like, that's, yeah. I mean, shit, that's how I started riding mountain bikes was riding a mongoose, like a pile of shit garbage <laughs> bike and just riding it into the ground. Right. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of people get into the sport. And that's one of the things that I think gets skipped over because that's where that relationship starts. And if, we as a community don't address that from the jump. We don't even get to the racing aspect of it. We don't even get to the equal pay. We don't even, we don't even get there. Right. Because the numbers are just so not the same in terms of participation because it gets cut off at step one. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I've, I've been pretty lucky, I think recently to just like, And I guess part of this is intentional, like just never go back to shops where I feel like, you know, I'm getting judged and, (laughs) um, and I feel like I don't belong there, but I've been lucky to have some good relationships with shops, um, where, you know, the, the feelings are positive and, um, but yeah, we all know, we all know how it feels to walk in and, um, and be judged and, um, it definitely starts with with shops at the ground up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's intimidating to walk in and talk about something, no matter what it is, no matter what sport it is. To talk, to walk in and be like, I want to do this new thing, right? Like that's a huge step to make as someone who wants to do things, right? Like you can be interested in something, but actually wanting to partake in that sport is is very nerve wracking, and it's very it's a very difficult first step, especially if you like you find yourself as an anxious person or you're not super outgoing, like going in and starting is really hard because you don't know that much. And even if you've done your research and you don't know that much or like you're, you're just not there because of experience, it, you should be able to get the same treatment as anybody else in terms of like kind of guiding you through that process, whether it's on the racing side or whether it's on the shop side. I feel like 
people don't race because they're intimidated by the fact that you're racing, right? Like, and you assume everybody's going to be fast as shit. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to like, look at me, like I'm the noob that like just started and I don't, I don't understand anything and nobody wants to feel like that. It's just getting over that hump and having the support to get over that hump, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess like, I just, you, you got to be able to walk into a shop and like feel comfortable asking questions. That's the biggest things. Cause if you can't get to that point, like you're never going to get over that barrier. And I think I used to be afraid to like speak up and ask things. And now I'm like, well, maybe they think I should know this because I'm a pro, but like, I don't care. Like I'll ask whatever stupid question, like the equipment and like mechanical stuff like it's not my thing um and I you know I know how to do a few basic things that I need to get by when I'm traveling um but it's just never gonna be it's it's not something I really enjoy and I don't want to spend the time like working on it so I'll always you know go try to find somebody who can who can help and um I will never go back to places if they make me uncomfortable for asking questions um, or, or things like that. Cause it's just like, you know, nobody should ever have to feel like that. For sure. Yeah. It's also gotta be nice for you at this point to be able to be like, okay, like fuck off. I'll dust you like that. That's <laughs> gotta be a nice thing to like have in your bed. Yeah. All right. Cool. Dork. Like, you know, about bikes and all they work, but I'm better than you at this thing that you know so much about. Right. That's a, that's a huge like Trump card to have in your back pocket. I think. Yeah. That, that helps with, with some of the confidence for sure. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I, I think that's really, I think it's rad. Um, let's talk about Rooted a little bit and then I'll let you get out of here. Um, what, how was it this weekend? You podiumed. What was the experience like? What, what's the scene like for people that haven't been to, haven't been to a Vermont gravel event, haven't been to Rooted. I, I think there's something super, super special about Vermont gravel that is unlike anything else anywhere in the country. Like Vermont very much owns this scene to me even if it's like low key, right? Like it, which it's not that low key anymore. Like there's a shit ton of people in some of these, like Overland, there was like 1500 people there last year. And like, you're looking at the mass and you're like, Holy shit. How are there so many people on this course right now? And it, it's, it's bizarre. So talk to me a little bit about your experience and why the Vermont gravel scene is so it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think first it's just like Vermont, like, as you know, like it's a really special place in the summer. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And like we have so many, I mean, before it was gravel, um, growing up, like we just rode our road bikes around on, on all the dirt roads. Like we have a lot of really nice, like pretty smooth roads, um, just because so that lends itself well to amazing gravel since gravel is such a thing Um, and it's yeah it's so beautiful here in the summer and we're lucky to have all those roads so I think that is just a good base for creating something really special out of um, a gravel race and, and a weekend but Rooted definitely um like they do a really good job of intentionally setting up a weekend that feels really community oriented which again is a reflection of Vermont like 
the one of the greatest things is that you know people are really welcoming and friendly here and um people know each other and are interested in in what's going on and want to connect so i think a lot of that shows through in the event and it's done intentionally like there's it's not just like show up and race one day and go home like there's a whole weekend of events and um i got to be a part of the saris sponsored a women's forum on saturday um the race is on sunday and i got to be a part of that um leading a discussion group and just like it was really cool for me to be able to connect with a lot of people who um, we're coming to the event, a lot of people who were new to cycling, new to gravel, um, and um, share, you know, what I've learned with them and and answer questions and just have a nice chat and be able to connect with people. Um, so I think that and then they have like the expo going on in the center, but feel like sometimes expos are one of those things you're like oh do we have to really go to that like it's annoying (laughs) um I don't really I don't really want that but like they just set it up in a really nice way where it's like um it's it's not an overwhelming number of like five different kinds of tire sealant and like this brand like it's just like a few things from each and then cool local brands like Skeeta that are, you know, it's not necessarily like fully immersed in the bike industry necessarily. Um, but so many like tie-ins and they are making some cycling specific products now and like things like that, that are just fun to see and highlight from, uh, from local businesses. And, um, that's kind of at the center of everything. And, um, it's just a really nice atmosphere and, um, the whole weekend was super fun. I loved, like, I had friends who were doing, like, it was their first gravel race, um, and were so into it and like asking me all the questions about tire pressure and like how much they needed to eat. And like, that was really fun for me to be able to just like share that with them and, um, to be able to race in, in Vermont was special. Um, the race itself was really brutally hard, (laughs) not going to lie. Um, I, yeah, I think it was, it was the longest ride I've done a little bit. There were some, there were some changes to the course, which I thought were cool. They added some new class four sections, but and they weren't, it wasn't that different than last year, but it, it was like half an hour longer kind of overall. So like mm. from four and a half to five hours, that kind of time difference. And it was hot this year, um, mm. the second half. So that definitely made things pretty brutal. Um, but it was a super fun day. I also different than last year, like I found myself alone a lot, <laughs> which <laughs> not like where you want to be in a race with like a thousand people and um, isn't that weird that that happens like that it's so spread apart like i that's actually it's funny you mentioned that because that's one of the things i did overland last year and that was one of the things in respetita in the spring and one of the things that i felt was that it was very bizarre that you're alone for as long as you're alone for in these events because there's so many fucking people that are there and you feel them all at the end and you feel them all at the beginning but somewhere in the middle there's like this huge disparity between people. Yeah. It's crazy when that happens. And I don't know, like, like I, I 
and like the tactics like that that come into play a little bit that's more like a road cycling thing but it comes into play in gravel a bit too and I understand the principles of that and try to you know use that but it was like we were the the top women were like hanging on and kind of yo-yoing off the back of the lead men for the first hour so like we went out super hard and um I was kind of like damn why are we going this fast already (laughs) um but also like I'm competitive and like I'm right I'm into it so so we're doing that and then I ended up with a couple other pro women who I know pretty well and we were stoked and there was just the three of us we were like oh where's everyone like this is great (laughs) um we got to the class four section and I had ridden it before so I like I was like okay I know this pretty well and then also like like downhills are kind of where I excel too and a bit in in gravel racing and um I so I came out of the section and kind of looked back and was like oh well my friends are gone yeah (laughs) I was like you know cool like I'm doing well but also like I'm alone and I felt like I think it was like almost the next two hours like I was just kind of by myself um I got caught by another group um and then kind of just did my best to, to hang on to that group for a while and um, and and sit in a bit. But it was it was really fun. It was dynamic racing. There was an incredibly strong, like deep women's field, which was also intentional. And it was great to see. I do think it could have been uh, an interesting race. There's some talk about this these days about separating the women's field from the men in gravel and the implications for that, like it could have been, it could have been a fun race to do that because a lot of times the field's just not big enough. And I think maybe the, Mm. the harder or like bigger issue is like, it's logistically really challenging for the organizers to do that. Um, But I was like, Oh, that could have been a fun one because there were just so many strong women out there and um, super dynamic racing and, really just had a great time hanging out with friends after and hearing stories about um their their experience too yeah it's such a long time and there's such a like the skill sets are so different i think for people in gravel mm-hmm. like you mentioned like your strong suit is downhills like the downhill on some of these roads are so fucking scary on a gravel bike like when especially when you're moving moving right yeah. i that was one of the first things that i noticed was like okay as somebody who mountain bikes more than I gravel ride or road ride or any of that shit, mm-hmm. that's where like my strong suit is, right? It's like the same. And I, you come out of that shit and you're like, I just dropped people on a downhill. Like that seems like that, that seems bizarre because that doesn't happen as much in mountain biking and it doesn't yeah. happen as much in road cycling, right? You're not, yeah. you're not dumping 10, 15 people on that, right? Versus on a gravel ride or gravel race, you, you are because it, it actually is a, there's a certain skill disparity there that is, it's huge and it's just experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the downhills. I always have. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun part for me. Um, but you know, it's, it's also like, there's such a fine line of like, um, you know, the, the being in control and like going over that level and taking too much risk and like, right. It's just not worth it. it also like you're reminded, I was reminded a few times in, in rooted, um like they're open roads so you could be ripping right. 40 miles an hour on a gravel downhill and there's a truck coming up towards you and it's like you can't be like cutting the inside of that corner like right 
you gotta be <laughs> you gotta be other factors <laughs> so but yeah it's yeah. it's all fun that's awesome um okay well i'm gonna leave you with a question from your brother uh brooks Kern. if people aren't familiar um he wants to know how many creamy tokens you have how many <laughs> stacked up what like what does that mean what what like uh, what funny um well yeah first like it, it is funny because like you mentioned brooks like a lot of people like it takes them a while to figure out that we're related because yeah we were five years apart so we were never in like school together really at the same time but like we did right. both go to uvm and anyway i was i was gone when he got there and then um now we have like a lot of crossover in our kind of circles of friends which is really fun um yeah. but i meet or, like i meet new people and they're like wait you're related to brooks <laughs> like, after like knowing them for a while so that's funny um but yeah the creamy jar um so i we talked about like balancing everything another thing that i like have to balance is like doing core work um and it's just like one of those things that falls to the wayside but it's like it's so easy to just sit down and do 10 minutes of core and i know that in my head <laughs> It like always gets left behind. So this summer I was like, okay, I'm gonna, and I, I did read, I don't know, there's some book I read about, um, about forming habits and, yeah. um, talking about how to incentivize yourself. You're like, okay, let's, let's create a jar and we get a token every time we do 10 minutes of core and that, that gets you a maple creamy. So, <laughs> and it's not to say that, I need to work out to get a maple creamy, but <laughs> yeah, it's, I enjoy them it's a good incentive. As I please, but it was trying to incentivize the core. Um, I did core on on Monday, um, day after rooted. So I got I got one token in this week, and I haven't had haven't had that creamy yet. So, <laughs> well, I'm you've earned it for sure. Um, that's great. That's great. Um, Okay. Where can people find you on social media? Where can people find you in real life? Like if people want to reach out to you, how do they find you? People want to give you money for bike racing. How do they give you money? What's the, so this is your plug. Yeah. Well, my routing number for my bank account. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm on Instagram, Caitlin C. Bernstein. Um, I used to have a cool nickname. My, one of my nicknames is Sea Dog, and that was my Instagram handle. But then I was like, oh, like it's hard for people to find me. So now I'm just lame, and it's it's Caitlin C. Bernstein. I like I like Sea Dog. That's a good name. I know. I love. Go back. Uh, I don't know. You should go back to that. Yeah, it, you can still call me Sea Dog. Um, okay but, cool yeah. good to know all right cool My instagram is caitlin c bernstein feel free to reach out um i love like using social to connect with people about about this and that and and anything and um hopefully uh also we'll just see people in real life at the races i'm gonna be at um the ews at burke oh um, yeah i forgot to ask you about this <laughs> but yeah okay um and also at vermont overland um which is another one that a lot of people will go to i'm sure so yeah, yeah. and it, on that topic if anybody has a spot that they don't want for overland i forgot to sign up and i want in again that's how i got in last year was somebody bailed last minute and uh, i took their spot so um if anybody has a spot that they don't want <laughs> 
Um, cool. Caitlin, thank you. I appreciate it. This has been great. 